Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Radio McBerto. Well, your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We're going to have a great show for you today. We're going to start out with an interview, but beforehand, you know who comes first. Who comes first again? You do. All right, let's get busy. El Senor Radden is here. Revolution hashtag is being censored on Facebook, but political revolution is not. Click both the hashtags. You'll see the difference. Let's see what we're talking about here before I put it on screen. Wouldn't want to put our channel in jeopardy. Let's see what's going on here. Keeping our community safe. Revolution. The hashtag. Uh, where's the other one that you said you wanted to show? Okay. I'm not going to put that up. If that is giving troubles right now, the last thing we want to do is, for me, have to go into a retracted fight with, with Facebook because of some hashtag that uh, that that somehow... They, we have the minion police is working on that. So, folks, take a look at it. Michael has it in the in the field. It's, just, it's amazing. Sometimes you got to self-censor. That's a shame, but it's not my platform. Anyhow, Michael Rodden also says, YouTube bans the unbans right-wing watch, a media watchdog devoted to exposing right-wing conspiracies. I didn't know that. YouTube is going to take down channels that expose right-wing hate, but YouTube still leaves the actual channels which spread the hate up. This is no mistake. What they're doing, this is not simply a defective algorithm, but an executive choice. If a channel espouses hate as their political position, take them down, as that goes against your terms and service conditions, and make sure a human moderator verifies it. Meantime, these tech companies need antitrust lawsuits. Well, that got kicked out today, from, I mean, yesterday from the, I think from the district court, uh, Google should not run own run YouTube. Facebook should not own run Instagram and WhatsApp. There are there needs to be market competition against these conglomerate forming monopolies. Notably, many of the right wing outlets and personalities that right wing watch chronicles are not currently suspended or banned from posting content on YouTube, while right wing watch has been booted for merely exposing the comments and content. Something Cal Mantaya. Mantilla, senior fellow at Right Wing Watch, noted as being particularly ironic. You know, that is what we get when we get the monopoly of these platforms. I can tell you that I've been throttled. Uh, so, you know, uh, what do you do about it? The only thing you can do about it is the only thing you have control over. Let me give an example. My only relationship, direct relationship with my, with my viewers is email. And whoever connects with us to provide a contribution and give us their information. That's the only sure way we know we have somebody to reach. Otherwise, all of you can immediately be taken away. Right? So what we did as a backstop is we threw ourselves on several platforms. That's why we stream at the same time on Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, Periscope. Uh, we also anchor.fm is where we have our podcasts. We also anchor at several other places, including our own website. And why? Because you never know. Uh, if, if you only have one way to reach your, 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 your viewers, they could cut you at any time. And what we do is we try to make sure to have several avenues. But our ultimate avenue to you is your email address, not your Facebook handle not your twitter handle not any of that because they can shut us out from reaching you in that domain ask donald trump not that we like donald trump but 
if you got a conglomerate of businesses that tell Facebook, we don't like politics done right, find a way to get them off, they can. But they'll have to break more laws for me not to get an email to you, for me not to get a newsletter to you. So when you see you're getting my newsletters and so forth, one of the reasons I want to make sure and always keep in touch with you and let you know what we're doing uh, you don't have to read them every single time. All I ask you is not unsubscribe. I ask you to keep subscribing and ask other people to subscribe because my only contact with you, my my mailing list, I think combined is about sixteen thousand. I the one one the radio list, I think is like six seven thousand, and my uh, Substack list, I think is like seventy five hundred, something like that. Two different lists. Um, but that's my contact, my direct contact. Now we have seen over by several tens of thousands of people over any particular week. But the only direct link I have with anybody are those email addresses, nothing more. And they could shut you down at any time. And the the email is the last thing and hardest thing to shut down. But anyhow, I'm done with that part. Let's see. Fresh demands for immediate U.S. withdrawal as Biden administration bombs Iraq. Syria, says Mehdi Hassan. The, the easiest way to protect U.S. forces in Iraq is for not to be any forces in Iraq. Exactly. There's no point staying where they don't want you. All that does is make our troops a target. And you get the rest. Exactly. OAN goes full fascist. Calls for mass execution for election fraud. That is, uh, I think they did that about a couple weeks ago or a week ago or so. That's true. Michael Rennan also at nearly 116 degrees. Heat in the western Canada shatters not... I didn't know Canada got up to 116 too. Wow. Global warming is only going to get worse from here out. True. Bridge MCP, repost wanted you to read in landmark report, the UN rights, human rights chief is urging countries around the world to do more to end violence and systemic racism against people of African descent, including through reparations. And we've talked about that. We're probably going to talk about it. Mucho mas. Thank you for that very prescient note. To our one and only Bridge MCP, leader of the PDR Posse. All right, dangerous heat wave is literally melting critical infrastructure in Pacific Northwest. I saw the the, the lines for the carts melting in Portland. It's crazy, people. It's crazy. Look, we are going to have to be honest in the way we tackle things going forward. Have to be very honest. Okay, welcome aboard, Bridge MCP. Hola a todos, mi Latina. Um, what is Irish in Spanish again? Irlanda is Irish. Irlandes. Mi Latina Irlandes. Como estas? Deborah John from LA. Norman Reynolds. Finally, plus one. Two. You're here, brother. All right. Bruce Pollard. What is the Stanford Hoover Institute? If I'm not mistaken, it's right wing. But... Tell me for sure, Michael Rodnan, what is it? Courtney SLP, agreed, Michael Rodnan, Bridge MCP, you mean War Institute. There you go, so I am right. Uh, let's see, Courtney, happy Tuesday, everybody. And let's see, Michael Rodnan, Egberto, I'd figure tagging you on Facebook would be the fastest way to get your attention to something worth seeing. Believe it or not, tagging on Facebook will be the first, the quickest way. The sure way is always going to be email, sad to say. And the reason why is email comes direct, and as long as it gets through my spam filter, it is okay. And of course, you know, Rudnan, you're not on my spam filter, so you're, you have free reign. 
Linda Joe Kessinger, welcome aboard. May Wood, hello everyone from Long Beach. Buenas tardes, todos mis amigos. Como están? Uh, let's see what's, what else we got here. Uh, New York is having a heat wave too, but only 100 index. All right, let's go ahead and play the climate change. Since we're talking a lot about climate, I think you guys are going to love this interview. Let's get busy. Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being here with us. As you guys know right now, one of the big issues is our climate. And you know what? It's great to know that we have thinkers out there that are looking in every, from, every, from every side. They're actually thinking about how best do we handle this, whether it's from the economic side, the social side, etc. Anyhow, Stuart McIntosh is the author of Climate Crisis Economics, the net zero transition that will be published in September 2021 by the Rutledge Press. It is his third book. Stuart is executive director of the Group of 30, an international financial think tank composed of the world's leading central bankers, financial leaders, and academics. McIntosh is a past president of the National Association of Business Economics, the largest and most influential community of senior economists in America and globally. McIntosh speaks widely to diverse audiences. His commentaries and analysis are published in Specialist Journalists and the General Press. Stuart, welcome to Politics and Right. How are you doing today? Great. It's a pleasure to see you, Alberto. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, look, we, we, we have a lot to talk about, a little bit of time. So let's get real busy into the core of this thing. First of all, uh, tell me a little bit about why you decided to write this book, Yet to be Unleashed. Well, I felt that we, we needed to think, think again about how we talk about climate crisis, about how we discuss it amongst ourselves, and about the goals and the glide paths to get us from a polluting present to a green and sustainable tomorrow. Now, this is a topic which is extremely urgent now, as, as, you, as we all know, and we can see it and feel it literally. Uh, yesterday and today, we can see the heat uh, in the West, in Oregon, bearing down on yes. people, in some cases, threatening people's lives. Because of course, if you're old or, or compromised from a health perspective, these temperatures might kill you. And so it, 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 I felt it, we needed, I needed to make an intervention and lay out the challenges, the dangers, but also to make the case that actually we can do this. This is the paradoxical challenge we face. It's not that there are no solutions, that the situation is hopeless. Rather, it is that we know what we need to do. It's just that we oftentimes, too often, don't do what we know we should do, or as my as my old maths professor in Scotland used to used to say to me, if I may use Scots for a moment, he said, oh, yeah. it's no that you couldn't, it's that you wouldn't. In other words, it's not that you can't do it. It's not that we can't make the transition. It's that too often we just don't want to, but we can and we must. Now, um, I'm going to look, uh, the climate issue should never or should never have been a political issue. Uh, back in 1979, uh, President Carter, then actually a little after 79, came up with a program called Sin Fuels. It was during the oil, oil crisis. 
Likewise, uh, he did things like he put solar panels on the roof for, uh, of the White House. And we started into a progression sort of uh, similar to what occurred in Brazil, where they created a real engine that they created gas, I mean, gas from plants, which is a recyclable, etc. A lot of this, in my opinion, has to do with direction, has to do with leadership. Um, what has been wrong with American leadership since we've known about this problem for such a long time? It's a really good example you give of, of President Carter understanding the threat. Because what happened after that was that the Republican Party recognized that people were getting more concerned about the climate and worried about the climate and wanted action. Because when people uh, see a crisis and realize a crisis, they then turn to the government and they say, do something about it. Now, the famous Republican pollster, Mr. Luntz, wrote an epochal memo where he, sa he said the way that the Republicans should fight green, the green the surge and the demands for action was to bring this or suggest that the science was in doubt and say that it was still in dispute. Because if the science was in, in dispute, then perhaps we wouldn't need to act. Whereas if the science was certain, then the, the voters would say, well, get on with it. And the sad thing is, for decades after President Carter was being dynamic and, and, and sensible about it, we had the overhang of this Luntz memo in politics, where one side of the political debate said, the science is in dispute. We know that that's not the case. Net zero is a scientific certainty. It is not a slogan, but we've lost decades because of that. Let me just make another point related to the 1970s, which is relevant. At that time, when President Carter was making the right decision, but perhaps was not a strong enough leader to push it through, the Swedish took a similar position. They said, my goodness, look at this oil crisis and also look at the climate implications of this oil crisis and the costs on, on our planet. We will instigate a carbon tax. And they put into place a carbon tax and they have it today. And it's the highest in the world. It's $130 per ton. But as a result of that process that was started decades ago in Sweden, they are now essentially carbon neutral. They've changed their entire economy and they are a successful social democratic economy with low levels of inequality and high levels of growth. In other words, they've demonstrated you can make the transition. They started earlier, so their costs were less than our costs will be today. But we can do it with, as you say, leadership. You cannot do it without leadership. We need leadership. I'm pleased to see that leadership evident in the United States, in President Biden, in his staff and, and administration picks now. You hear it repeatedly. This is not just sloganizing. This is a real shift. And thank goodness, perhaps we're not too late. You know, um, Stuart, one of the reasons I think books like you've written and yourself needs a lot more exposure is that uh, too often on the other side, when I talk about the other side, I'm not talking politically now. I'm talking about those who disregard uh, climate change. Uh, they, they have a big voice. Uh, and for some reason, the mainstream, what we call the mainstream media, tends to give them a bigger worth than they are worth, if you will. Now, uh, you mentioned about uh, how the lost decades. Now, we are in a, we are likely in the most capitalist country that we have. 
And one of the definitions of capitalism is the, uh, the, the smart allocation of resources, the efficient allocation of resources. And supposedly that means that it, there should be a market that could discern these eventualities, these things that would create problems. Uh, wouldn't you say that that points out a distinct failure in the way we practice our form, our economic system that right now has us in danger at a tipping point in the world? After all, between uh, us, a capitalist country, and China, who we like to call a communist country, but is really a communist capitalist country, capitalism has nothing to do with, what, with your political system. Uh, don't you think there is a problem that has to be resolved first before we can really get into this model that you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, that is a very important piece, which is we, we, we economists have known for decades that the fundamental failure of market economics is to internalize the cost of carbon. We all do it, right? We get on a, a, a plane that's super cheap to fly short distances, spewing out carbon dioxide. We drive cars that are very polluting. We uh, perhaps eat too much meat and make ourselves unwell, or at least a little bit overweight. There are all these things that we do where, where we're not internalizing the cost because the, because the policymakers haven't made that determination. They haven't said, look, we need to price things realistically. And a realistic pricing includes the damage that you're doing to produce that good. Now, in most cases, it wouldn't create a dramatic, disastrous change to everyone's life. No. Would your burger be fractionally more expensive? Yes, it would. Uh, would the flight you take be slightly more expensive? Yes, it would. Some policymakers, like in France, are making taking more radical steps. So they're doing, for instance, in France, if, if, the, if the journey is less than three hours, you can't take a plane. You have to take the train if the train is available. In other words, they're telling the, 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 the airlines where there's a functioning high-speed rail network over this distance, uh, you cannot fly there because it's too polluting. Now, that's a radical solution. Now, I'm not suggesting we can get to that solution in America because America is much more market-oriented. But what we can do is say to the businesses and to even us as consumers that we have to pay the real price of what we're doing. And we know that when you do that, people change. Take, for example, this tiny, small change that was done recently in many communities in DC, where, where they said, okay, you can have your plastic bag at the grocery, but you've got to pay an extra five cents. And what they find is that behaviorally, when the person is sold, oh, I have to pay an extra five cents, I can do that. It's, you know, five cents is nothing. But the, the, it triggers in our minds, God, why, I'm not doing that. Now, everybody carries their own bags. I know you do. I know I do. So there's an ex the point I'm making here is you need to change those incentives. And small shifts in incentives can have very large and significant changes in behavior. And the market system can accelerate things very rapidly. So, for instance, with the announcement by GM uh, last year that they were going full on into EVs, it changed all of the calculus for the rest of the automobile industry. And I can say that I just recently, and this is not an advert, this is just showing you I'm responding to, that I put my deposit down for, uh, for the F-150 light, Lightning. Uh, hey, this, this thing's gonna go from zero to, zero to 60 in five seconds. 
and it's and it's you know and it's carbon neutral. It's fantastic. I'm totally I, going for it. Look, let me tell you, I'm an engineer by training, and when I saw that F-150 pulling a a um, a train, a, a full <laughs> locomotive, it was like. What people don't understand is with, with, with electricity, you have more control, better gearing, et cetera, that allows you a small device like that to pull a train, which a combustion engine is a bit more com com you know, complicated yes. to do that. So it was great seeing that. And it's great that you, you have it down on the F-150. And, and the, the, the thing about that example, and there are many examples like this on when we talk about how we get from here to there to net zero, it's not, it's not simply a cost. Oftentimes there are really superb innovations involved in that shift. And so what it means is I get a better product, uh, well-paid jobs are created in America for union workers producing American uh, goods, and you get more jobs in that new sector, which pay better than the old jobs, because that's one of the things we've seen from the pandemic response is that people realize that maybe a lot of jobs are undervalued and we need to rethink about how we pay people and what we pay them for. And I think the future, the green globalization 2.0, I like to call it, is going to actually be more prosperous, potentially more equi equitable, and of course sustainable so it's not a question of this is going to cost me we can't afford it it's no the future can be better and moreover we must afford it you know uh, i I'm, that last statement that you made is extremely important we must we must that word must because um you gave some good reasoning you point out that yes it can create more jobs yes it can be more prosperous and yes, we can use it as the platform to make our systems more equitable. Now, that said, it's not really true that it, it definitely has to make us more equitable, right? We could still have the, the master on the top making all the spoils like he does right now, uh, where, where you know, capitalism sort of skews everything up. We can use this as a reason to, more, to make things more equitable. And you know, it's almost like a restart. But here's my, my, my question. Why is it that we have to sell saving the planet, ultimately saving our lives by selling to make things more prosperous? Oh, it's going to make more jobs. It seems like if this is something that is existential, that shouldn't even be a part of the equation. That's right. And so it is a, it's, 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 it's a tension. Some people uh, will, will, will resonate with the job narrative and understand, and we need to create, right. we need to sustain the economy anyway. We can't say to people, you can, save the, you can save the planet, but you will live in penury. That's not going to work as a political matter. So you need to have a, a narrative that says how, how, how tomorrow, a green tomorrow will be a better, more equitable and stronger, potentially more equitable uh, uh, existence. However, you're absolutely right. There are, there are ethical and moral reasons why we should do this anyway why we have to do it anyway, because we live on this planet. We don't live outside the planet. Right. And if, if we face ecological collapse because we fail to act, it is we are going to tip into a hothouse world where we can never come back, not in the, not in the realms of human history anyway. And we need to remember those, that stark warning. Let me give you one example. There was a period earlier in prehistory called the Younger Dryas, which took place about 11,000 years ago. Uh, 
when there was a sudden warning, warming of the planet, flooding large parts of, of what was then the European landmass. The reason why it's important to, to remember these, these instances, and many people don't know about them. Actually, I'm learning this right now. Is that people think that climate change goes slowly, slowly, and oh, it's very diffuse, and it's, okay, the temperature's gone up just a tiny bit, but let's not worry. Because right, it seems like that, you get every year there's about two two additional parts per billion in carbon dioxide added to the to the atmosphere. Now it's at 414 parts, which is the highest level in human history. We should be extremely worried about that. But it seems to be so gradual that most of the time it doesn't wor worry us. But the real danger is that what happens actually in complex climate systems is that it goes slowly, and then you hit a sudden breakpoint. You can't tell when it's going to happen, and boom, everything changes. So in the case of the Younger Dryas, there was an increase in temperature of 10 degrees C over a decade. Oh. And consider that. It's a staggering increase. Uh, so the seas rose, large parts of the landmass of Europe disappeared beneath the waves. They've never been seen since. Before that, I, my ancestors could walk from Scotland to mainland Europe. You can't do that anymore because the seas rose. So the point I'm making here, and this is going to your point about why we have to, we do have to have a sense of urgency. And it's not just about short-term economic benefits. It's about the sustainability of life on earth. And we see those danger signs all over the place. We see them in California, in, 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 the, in the drought and the fires in California. We see it in Australia with the terrible, terrible fires. We see it in Bangladesh last year, where there was over a third of the country submerged by water. We can see it again and again. And we, so there is, there's, it's, it's both an economic argument, but it must be one also of consistent urgency because we know from the pandemic response from COVID, you, the best thing to do when you confront a crisis is act immediately. Don't delay. The longer you delay, the worse the outcome. Absolutely. So I have two more important questions. First one is um, I can, an economic system is human made. We created an economic system to serve us. As we look at the entire earth today, there's a, there are a whole lot of people on the earth. There is a whole lot of work to be done. Right now, we simply are not connecting the people with all the work that needs to be done, which is really, to, I mean, that's a failure of an economic system. Shouldn't we be working on one that in doing so would also mitigate all these issues that we're talking about? Yes, we need to have a fairer ba balance and a more equitable response. So because people the world over understand that and we understood it during the COVID response, that because everybody bore the brunt of it together fairly, People will carry burdens, but they are not going to carry a burden if they feel that they are getting repeatedly the short end of the climate stick and the short end of the economic stick. And so if I was in Africa or I'm in India or I'm in other poor parts of the world, which have essentially contributed almost nothing to the climate crisis, which has been created entirely by the advanced economies, overspending, overpolluting. And I'm told, well, you've got to do all these changes and we're not going to support you uh, sink or swim, literally. I, I'm, I'm probably going to get pretty upset and I won't be able to respond or I will refuse because I'm not being supported. And the cost of supporting people to a more equitable outcome where everybody makes the leap together is minuscule. When you think that the current commitments is 100 billion a year, 
to lesser developed countries. And the major advanced economies are still bickering over it in advance of COP26 in November. They still haven't agreed to actually give the money they were supposed to give in, the, in, the, in any case. I'm saying, well, you should give double that. You should give 200 billion a year. This is small beer. Bear in mind that, 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 that in the pandemic response, the advanced economies spent $15 trillion to maintain their economies. In the, in, in the scheme of things, 100 billion or 200 billion a year to make the transition achievable in Africa and in poorer countries is entirely uh, doable. We can do it. We especially, just especially when those countries were used as the raw material for the Industrial Revolution from of all course. the resources that yes. were extracted from them. Now, you know, you, you, you think... You think as you jumped my last question because the last question that I was going to place to you was, uh, and you kind of alluded to that, that carbon in the air right now that has if that has caused climate change was mostly done by the industrialized countries. So to ask all the other countries not to get uh, more wealth, develop more wealth, right. develop more items, uh, they have to be paid for that because they they are not the ones that caused this issue so how do we the one of the promises i don't believe it or not you are one of the few that actively say that because when you ask many people right now hey um america needs to do so much to reduce its carbon footprint the first thing is well china is throwing a whole lot of carbon in the air well india is throwing a whole lot of carbon in the air they're not going to reduce and it's like well we have to create the incentive because they're developing now we we got rich on what we threw up there in the air. How should we be educating our peoples in these, in these Western countries to that reality and realize that it's now time to compromise? Yes, I think so. And let me, let me give you an example of why this works. And this, because part of what I talk about in the book is about the need for new stories about how we think and talk and converse about climate change. Why does that matter? That matters because we need a proper, particularly in America, we need to have a face-to-face -face discussion in our local communities about, about what climate change is. So agreeing the facts, because they are facts, these are not disputable political notions. The scientists can show us and would show us, the, this are the, these are the facts. Once we agree the facts together, as communities, as neighbors, as friends, not as ad adversaries, the question then becomes, as we said at the beginning of our conversation, not whether something's happening, but what do we do about it? And we can then have arguments about, well, I want to use this policy as opposed to, I want to use taxes, I want to use incentives. And my, my answer is, it's all of the above. But we need to have those conversations. And in having those conversations, we can get past the antagonism, past the false narratives and, uh, you know, uh, social media driven foolishness and come to a recognition recognition that we are all in it together and that means in America but it also means our co countries elsewhere because we need investments for the future green investments for the future in countries where their economies their economies and peoples are still growing those green investments will be in Africa, they will be in other countries, not just ours. And so it's in our, it's in our collective benefit to our collective good, good that we help them make that transition because we will benefit too. 
Absolutely. So um, interestingly, a lot of NGOs are working in Africa with things like solar cells to, 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 to do things out in the boondocks and different forms of communication. Anyhow, last question that I always ask is, what didn't I ask you that I should have asked you? Um, good question. Uh, can, can we do it fast okay. enough? I, I, I grapple with my own Scottish pessimism because I, I'm a Scot and Scots are very pessimistic. We're always saying that, that things are going to be bad, so just accept it. <laughs> no, I, since I'm American now as well, I have to be an optimist. Right. So I say, can we do it? We, I think we can do it. I think we once we recognize the crisis together as communities, as Americans, as, as citizens of the world, we can make the leap. It is, it is not to a disastrous future. It can be a much better, more equitable, sustainable future. Uh, we can do it. We just need to uh, make the leap this year. We can't delay. We've got only a few decades. Really, we need to do most of what we have to have before us before 2030. We can do it. Let's get off our backsides. Let's force the leaders who are meeting in Glasgow in November to, to be ambitious and aggressive and not timid. Stuart McIntosh, author of Climate Crisis Economics, The Net Zero Transition that will be published September 2021 by the Rutledge Press. Thank you so kindly for having been a part of Politics Done Right. Thank you, Egberto. It's a pleasure. Take care. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I really enjoyed that interview with uh, Brother Stuart there. Anyhow, um, I, a, a message that's, that somebody sent touched me. I want to scroll back up to it real quick. Uh, Bridge MCP, I firmly believe good conquers evil and love conquers hate. They just don't show that. And I think that was sort of an, an answer to uh, uh, Maywood. Was it Maywood who said, or was it somebody else? I think somebody was concerned about whether uh, whether we can, you know, whether most people are good. In fact, let me tell you something. Don't let anybody... It is funny because I've seen... I've had conversations with some of the most hateful acting people. Hateful acting. And then I sat down with them one-on-one -on -one and realized that there was a genesis to that hate that they, that they expel. Many times it used to be a protective uh, a protective facade or there was always something there but ultimately when you got under them you realized man that person is actually not bad they're just xyz again i repeat this and i don't say this for the sake of just saying it most people are good most people don't want to cause you harm but our system our system, hear this, this is very important. Our system requires that we put each other's at each other's throat. Because the pathology that governs the 1% that is generally evil, they want everything for themselves. It's intrinsic within the wiring of their brains. They have to create boogie persons. They have to create reasons for us to hit up each other. They have to create false equivalencies. They have to make it that, uh, you know, I mean, you take a look at what Republicans and Democrats are fighting for. That much. But the things that they all want, when you add it up, it's like, damn, why is it so difficult? 
Again, it is difficult because capitalism cannot survive without a caste system. A system where we can have people thinking there's a pecking order. And the easiest way to define that pecking order is by someone's hue. Right? It's an easy way to do it. So why not do it that way? Otherwise, it would be too complicated. Class, class on its own is very difficult. Before we continue, I want to go to um, ask you guys, if you are on YouTube, please click that join button to become a member. If you don't see that join button to become a member, you can actually go to politicsandright.com slash YouTube, politicsandright.com slash YouTube. Join our PDR posse and also get our cup. Get our cup designed by BDGMCP. You can get our cup, that particular cup. You can order it directly at this link here that I just placed in the thing. Alternatively, you can support us via Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Politicsandright.com slash Patreon. Politicsandright.com slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Or you can support us via PayPal. Politicsandright.com slash PayPal. Allow us to continue doing what we're doing to get the word out. And, of course, you can shop at our store to get our T-shirts, our hoodies, our hats, all of that, our cups, all of that good stuff. You can get it at our store, including our books. If you buy the book from our store, we will actually send you a bumper sticker and another goodie in there. But, again, you can also get all of our books at once, including our audiobook at politicsandright.com slash books, politicsandright.com slash books. Our book... Uh, how to Make America Utopia. I did the uh, voiceover for that, the, the audiobook. Check it out. The audiobook is actually shipping right now. So if you go to politicsandright.com slash books at Amazon, you can get the, uh, the audiobook or at Audible. And our other book, uh, how to, the, the, which is the other book? The one that, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. You have all these books and say, like, what is the name of my book again? It's worth it. It's worth it is an audiobook as well. You can get it in paperback, uh, Kindle, or audiobook. And the audiobook was done, of course, by Norman Reynolds, our one and only Norman Reynolds, in that great, with that great accent, you know, the one that all the ladies like to listen to, you know? Anyhow, let's get busy and continue with the show. I want to show you a piece because we're, we have a fall. Uh, patriotism going along right now. We have the Republican leadership attacking Gwen Berry because she decided, you know, they played the the, the, the national anthem at, at, at a different time. She wanted to do a little protest and, you know, anyway, they called it disrespectful, unpatriotic, and they, they raised a big hoopla out of a protest, a civil, peaceful protest. But yet... For a attempted coup, yet nada. Check this out. Well, activist Olympian uh, hammer thrower Gwen Berry apparently got into a little bit of trouble. Apparently, while the national anthem was playing, she turned her back or something. She said it was partially a setup because the anthem was played when it wasn't supposed to play. Who cares? I don't really care. She's an activist. She was protesting, and she was protesting in a civil form. Now, I mean, some people say, oh, that is disrespectful. You know, I mean, protest is protest, right? You're doing something uh, because there is an ill that you feel has occurred, and you want to get noticed to talk about that ill. Republicans are in a 
fitzy. I mean, they're going crazy. It is crazy that this woman did such a bad thing. She turned her back to the flag or turned her back on the national anthem. And by the way, the national anthem also has a few verses that uh, pretty much glorified slavery. A lot of people don't know that. But anyhow, I want you to listen to this and then we'll take it on the other side because I have quite a bit to say and specifically to Democrats and progressives not allowing Republicans to get away with some kind of a fall outrage. Check this out. The U.S. Olympic trials for track and field have featured some breakout stars, some broken records. But one athlete is now getting attention, mostly from conservatives, not for her performance on the field, but for her protest on the podium. I want to ask you about the Olympic hammer thrower. Gwen Berry. Miss Berry is so embarrassed by America, then there's no reason she needs to compete for our country. We don't need any more activist athletes. I, I, you know, <laughs> she should be removed from the team. The entire point of the Olympic team is to represent the United States of America. Gwen Berry, qualifying to represent the U.S. in Tokyo by coming in hammer throw. But as you just heard, some conservatives want her off the team. Why? Well, we've been showing some of these images. When she reached the podium, she turned her back on the flag during the national anthem in a protest of systemic racism and police brutality. This is now turning into basically the latest front in Washington's culture wars, if you will, with the White House asked to weigh in. Part of that pride in our country means recognizing there are moments where we are, as a country, haven't lived up to our highest ideals. And it means respecting the right of people granted to them in the Constitution to peacefully protest. Now, let's be clear here. Democrats have the perfect opportunity to use this fall outrage. This is an outrage that is senseless. Let's talk about it. Numero uno, where was the attack on the on patriotic coup attempt that we had on January 6th? They don't even want to create a commission to study it. So this was an attack, and they want to, this girl turned her back. These people attacked the United States of America. Where is the outrage there? They violently attacked police officers. They believe in supporting the blue, but they attacked police officers. They killed some and they caused some to be maimed forever. They used the United States flag and poles as they were attacking people trying to enter the Capitol and they beat police officers with flag poles. Is there disrespect there? Where is the commission again? They have affected the debts of thousands of Americans by denying them the Medicaid expansion to the Affordable Care. They've killed Americans with that policy. They've continued austerity as huge tax cuts goes to wealthy people. And they are forcing us to live on a little, which means infrastructure cannot be taken care of. We have bridges that have fallen down. We have uh, water that has been poisoned and killed Americans. Is that patriotic? They botched the response to COVID-19, affecting the deaths of over 600,000 Americans. Is that patriotic? They unpatriotically colluded with Russians and North Koreans and then want to claim that Miss Barry is not patriotic? They don't support police reforms, which would protect some of their own citizens from being maimed and killed by rogue cops, by a system that gives them no human value. Is that patriotic? They all voted no to the American Rescue Plan, which had support for police and for fire people and for the first responders. 
uh, they effectively were the first ones to defund the police. Is that patriotic? Look, Democrats need to run with this. As soon as they talk about somebody being unpatriotic and needing to be taken off a team, remind them about January 6th. Remind them about using flagpoles to beat officers. Remind them that their unpatriotic resolve have caused a lot of deaths among all Americans. They need to be aware of that and they need to take responsibility of that. But you know what? They won't. But we need to turn every argument that they bring to us. There is a parallel scenario that not only shows their negligence, but shows that they have no ability to govern and they have no morality. It is imperative that we do not allow them to ever get the upper ground. Think about this. A lot of these protests, these people are protesting ills that have affected many of us. When natives are in the Dakotas protesting, they are protesting. Look, remember, you came and you took the Black Hills. We, we had treaties towards it. And you took it because you found gold. And you want us to now say, oh, let's just be nice and treat you so nicely and, and, and just revere the flag and revere all these things. What are these things that caused harm? Look, we are all one America. But we have to come to one place. We have to have a system that atones for what is done. And we have to stop allowing those who are part of the problem to somehow get the high ground. They don't have the high ground. It is time for them to atone for not what has occurred in the past, for what many of them are doing today. Absolutely so. There is your picture, Mr. Rodney. But let me tell you better, okay? There is a movement, hashtag defund the police. The movement is rather simple. It says, stop giving the police so much money because it does nothing for crime. Start putting that money into services that prevents crime. In other words, if you put it into mental services, social services that keep kids off the streets, all these things is what defund the police means. Stop creating a police state and create a humane state. Now, let's get back to the reality. The only people, the only politicians that have genuinely voted to defund the police en masse are Republicans. Remember that. Don't let them get away with it. They, they left several billion dollars. They voted against several billion dollars going to aid the police and other first responders. Do not forget to tag them with it. They defunded the police. In other words, a lot of a lot of progressives are saying we need to move funds from the police elsewhere. They actually did it. Don't ever let them. So as soon as they come and they talk about defund the police, yeah, we know you did it. When they talk about unpatriotism, tell them, yes, we know you did it. Remember, you tried to overthrow the United States government. Remember, when, you talk, when they talk about you don't support the police, remember to let them know the truth. You killed police in the Capitol. Remember, have these things on the tip of your tongues. I have a, an eight. If you take a look, and let me put the, the, the corresponding blog for this uh, particular piece that I did in the, in the feed. 
Here is the correspondent blog for the feed. But I have uh, some bullet points there. And this is what I said. Republican Trump-driven sycophants unpatriotic attempted a coup insurrection on the United States of America. Republican Trump-driven sycophants violently attacked and killed police officers. Republican Trump-driven sycophants used the U.S. flag and polls to beat those defending the Capitol. Republican leaders affected the deaths of thousands of Americans by denying them the Medicaid expansion to the Affordable Care Act. Republican leaders continued austerity as huge tax cuts given to the rich caused collapsing infrastructure that has killed many. Republican leaders botched the response to the COVID-19 pandemic that killed over 600,000 Americans. Republican leaders unpatriotically colluding with the Russians and North Koreans, a clear and present danger. Republican leaders do not support police reform to prevent the murders of innocent people of color by cops. There is a list, and we could probably add to the list, but those are the ones that personally, for me, were more profound. I imagine your list could be more profound, but the most immoral, the most immoral leadership in this country can be materially, can be materially shown to be Republican leaders. I'm not talking about my Republican brothers and sisters. Most of them just don't know. But these guys are evil because of what they have to do to maintain the people who support them. Don't forget it. And by the way, there are some Democrats in the, in, the, in, in, in the center who suffer from the same disease. They're just being catered to right now because their vote is needed. Remember, though, you got to get out there and vote and make sure and bring in the most progressive set of people possible. Let's see what else I'm having. Eric Hayes, actually, it goes both ways, my friend. I just explained to you that centrist Democrats follow that same modal. They have cover because they are sort of forced to have to vote with. Uh, they, 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 they can't be left coverless. Okay. Daniel Ladosa, really, how can anybody listen to this rant and not either laugh to begin to have serious concern about your mental health, brother? I don't think people have to concern about my mental health. They just have to go see if what I'm saying is true. And everything that I said there is verifiable, repeatable, 100%. There's absolutely no doubt on those bullet points that I gave there. And it's actually worse if you come to Texas. A lot worse. Because I can talk about how can, vote, how can supporting, how can supporting, removing the ability of others to vote, other than an American unpatriotic deed. Think about it. Think about it. So therefore, remember those points that I just made there, my brothers and my sisters. Have it at the tip of your tongue. Because what has happened over the last, since Trump, look, there for a long time, uh, a lot of our Republican leaders, I'm talking Republican leaders, remember, I want to get to my Republican brothers and sisters, how to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors. But the leaders are the evil ones that are creating that are created. Remember what I said? Most people are good. Most people are good. Most people are good people. But leadership has a, a, a can can actually make good people do bad things. Remember that. Remember that. Okay, so here's the deal. So here's the deal. Keep these things at the tip of your tongue. What the Republican, has, Republican leadership has done over the last several years is they have given you the narrative. Because 
all the things that they talk about are projections. All that they talk about are projections. And every time they project, lift that mirror up and put it right up there and hit back with the truth. Hit back with the truth. They are a clear and present danger to America. And don't forget it. Eric, I am not mincing my words with what I'm saying here. What I'm saying here is on it is an absolute fact, on unrefutable fact, what I'm stating here. And like I always tell my audience, I like to make sure to let them know it's worth listening here because you know what? Our report says very good. Egberto Willis, look at our bias and look at where we stand as far as credibility is concerned. And look at the places where Republicans get their news from. Fox News, debatable, not credible. Newsmax, debatable, not credible. And of course, OAN is, uh, is, is, is crazy of them all. Completely, completely false and off the chain. So, uh, you know, this is not me saying. This is just how it is, folks. All right. Uh, Eric says 2022 will tell the tale and we'll see if the current policy works out or not. Yeah, we surely will. Uh, but that depends on, that depends on, um, on Biden making sure and, and disregarding the Republican leadership and just pushing, through, pushing the things that America say they want through. Push it through. Egberto does not tell lies. If he is off, he corrects you. Bet your life. If I make a mistake and I've made mistakes, and I come here and I apologize, not a pro- I, look. You know what's the, the, the what's the biggest thing? I realize I'm human. We should all do that and understand that we can make a mistake. We can even make a mistake with our vote. I have a few people who've come into uh, come in to tell me during the Trump administration at the gym when I was going at the gym before the pandemic. Egberto, I honestly made a mistake. I honestly made a mistake. My vote for Trump was the biggest mistake in my life. I remember when he, when one guy actually came and told me, uh, the two years after he, after two years in midterms, 2018, he came and he slapped me on my back and he said, Egberto, I'm going to make your day today. I'm not a Democrat, but I'm voting all Democratic in 2018. And I'm like, really? He said, but I'm not a Democratic bird. I'm a conservative. I said, okay, brother, you're a conservative. But at least you're voting the interest of yourself and you're voting the interest of your country. That's what's important, brother. And we did another back slap and, he, and then he had to turn around again and say, Berto, I'm not a Democrat. I said, okay, it's fine. Still love you, brother. I still love you. You don't have to be a Democrat. I still love you. You know, he, he was voted all Democrat, but he wanted to assure me that he was not a Democrat. To which I said, I really don't care. I don't care. Just vote the right way. Vote your interests. You know, this guy, this guy's an engineer who, who moved off. Um, I think he moved into, where did he move to? He, he went overseas to live. Uh, but he wanted to let me know he made a mistake. He was going to correct it in 2018, and after he corrected it in 2018, he wanted me to know, but remember, Egberto, even though I voted the same way you voted, I am not a Democrat. So, okay, brother, love you. Anyhow, folks, uh, we are coming to the end of the program. Please, again, support us. Please, if you are on YouTube, please go ahead and click that Join button. 
If you're not on YouTube, please go to politicsandright.com slash YouTube, politicsandright.com slash YouTube. Our alternative, please support us at Patreon. We need a 1,000 people at Patreon, and we're falling way behind on Patreon, way, way behind on Patreon. Uh, politicsandright.com slash Patreon. And, of course, PayPal, politicsandright.com slash PayPal. Look, folks, I couldn't do this without you. You guys are the ones who make this program. Please remember to share. Share. And what again? Share. That is how we can get our message out. And let's love each other, man. Simple. You know, don't hate anybody. You see all kind of folks come here, give me hell, cuss me out, tell me whatever they like. And you don't ever see me rude with them because I am making that bet. As Obama used to say, although I think he said it in a wrong context, when the fever breaks, it's easier to go ahead and talk to somebody who never, ever showed you any kind of hate. Daniel Ledo, this is from E2247. Daniel Ledo, Egberto is arguing from the perspective of intersectional theory, making sense because the world is not binary system of just American versus un-American. You are a smart genius. Thank you so kindly, Squido. Squido just sent us a super chat. Too late to get it on the screen, Squido, but I really do appreciate all of you who continue to support us. My name is Egberto Willis. Thank you, Squido. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics and Right, and you know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.